Hey friends, it's Jenna Overbaugh here. I'm a licensed professional counselor and I'm here to help you do all the hard things, including busting through your fear, intrusive thoughts, and worry so you can live your best life. Some of my earliest memories were being anxious and I lived my life that way until I learned more about OCD and anxiety. Since then, I learned as much as I could and I've been helping people overcome their fear and worry since 2008. Over the years, I've acquired some of the best education, training, and empowerment tools to help you understand your brain a little bit better and to finally overcome all of that fear that's been holding you back. Now, if you're ready to learn more, let's get to it. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Welcome back, you guys, to another episode of All the Hard Things. I am joined today by someone from our community. Her name is Krista, and I am so excited to share and to hear her story, just in talking a little bit prior to this call, prior to jumping on, I know that moms are really going to resonate with this. Anybody who has OCD and anxiety and who has ever experienced things like the backdoor spike or relapse, which I'm sure really is most of us, right? You're all going to benefit so, so much from this episode. Before any further, I would love to just throw it to Krista. Krista, I would love for you to just tell us a little bit about yourself so our audience knows who we're talking to and then would love for you to give us kind of your backstory. Like how did you realize that you had OCD and what was that process like for you? Yes, totally. Thank you for having me on, Jenna. You have no idea. I feel like I'm talking to a superstar in the OCD community. So yeah, my name is Krista. I'm 36. I live about 20 minutes north of Boston. So I apologize in advance if you guys think I have a crazy Boston accent. Basically, back in, I saw, let me backtrack. When I was a child, I didn't think I had OCD. Every kid has tendencies, but there were little things that I would do. I remember as clear as day, my mother would ask me to bring the clothes that she folded up the stairs. And I would have a thought, like, okay, Krista, if you don't bring the clothes up the stairs in the next five seconds, something bad is going to happen to her. So in my head, I would go, one, two, three, four, five, and bring the clothes up the stairs. It was a weird little thing. Didn't think much of it, whatever. But as everyone knows with OCD, it attacks what we love. So it wasn't until, actually, sorry, let me just go back real quick. <laughs> I, when I turned 16, a very traumatic thing happened and I lost my dad in a car accident, freak accident. I was giving him the silent treatment that day, dealt with a lot of guilt. I suppressed it all. Didn't really grieve, if you will. I just did what I did best and it was get involved in every possible extracurricular activity as possible to keep my mind going. Followed through my 20s of just nonstop partying and going for the emotionally unavailable people. <laughs> and then it wasn't until I met my now husband and that was when I was 26 years old and I felt that vulnerability that I haven't felt in such a long time because as like love is a risk and sometimes feeling vulnerable is just so scary. So six months into my relationship was when I first noticed intrusive thoughts and a friend of mine had reached out to me 
a male friend asking like how I was doing. And it just set me in a spiral where it was like, what, why is he reaching out to you? You're in a relationship. Does he have a thing for you? Do you have a thing for him? So I started compulsively checking Instagram and like testing to see how I felt when I looked at a picture. And it caused me so much distress that I remember I went seven days without showering. And I'm like, what the hell is wrong with me? And my best friend at the time, she's my best friend now, but at the time we were just close friends. And she's, Krista, this sounds like OCD. And just the people that aren't aware what OCD actually is, I was like, what are you talking about? This has nothing to do with organizing and keeping things clean. And she laughed and she's, no, girl, this is like classic OCD. And what I realized was she was actually, she did a, not a residency, but one of those like internships working at McLean for the OCDI. And I'm sure as you all know, that's one of the biggest places for OCD patients. So yeah, so that's like where my journey began. So that was back in 2014. So it's been about eight years. And fast forward to now, it's morphed, but it basically my, I guess I know we don't like to focus too much on the content, right? But relationship OCD, the underlying fear of loss, I think has caused a lot of, I guess, relapses, if you will. So Jenna, I don't know if I should continue on. I don't want to ramble too much before I get into like where we are currently. <laughs> oh, we love the rambling. The story. <laughs> no, this is amazing. I always take notes whenever I'm with people because I'm like, oh my gosh, I want to talk about this. I want to go back and ask about that. I can totally see how you mentioned like your core fear of loss and how that shows up in your relationships. Now, it totally makes sense that you had this thing happen where you were given your dad the silent treatment as most teenagers do, right? As most kids do. Yeah. It's just something that happens. It doesn't mean that you're a bad kid or a bad daughter or whatever. It's just, it's something that we do. We're human. And then mm -hmm. this freak accident happens with your dad. I can totally see how a brain yes. that's vulnerable to OCD and anxiety, right? That can happen. And it's boom, that, that trigger has happened, you know, so on and so forth. Like you are just set up, you were teed up to have these things happen later in life. So totally mm -hmm. makes sense. Oh my gosh, I'm so glad too that you had this friend that actually knew what OCD was. Right. That's like divine intervention right there. So that must have felt really good. I'm curious how this came up for you in your relationship, at least initially. I know you said that OCD has morphed quite a bit as it often does, but mm -hmm. talk to us about what that actually looked like. What were some of the compulsions that you did? Oh, yes. Yeah. I love giving people examples because I think so many of us feel like we're all alone and we're the only ones who do this. And then we hear on a podcast that someone does this other weird thing and it's, oh my gosh, I'm not the only one who does this. So bring oh. us through like an outside perspective. What did it look like for you to be struggling with this relationship OCD, at least to start? Oh, I basically it was all mental and I didn't think I was doing anything wrong. Like I mentioned, it was a lot of checking. It was a lot of testing. I remember at one point I was scrolling through my phone and I would try to memorize that kid's number and accidentally called him. And literally, I remembered my fight or flight response, like my heart hit the floor. And I was like, oh my God, oh my God, what did I do? Like he must, now he's going to think that I want something to do with him, but I don't. And I would battle myself internally. And I remember forcing myself, I don't know if this was like flooding at the time or what, but to meet up with him and a girlfriend of mine just to quote unquote, make sure that I, I didn't feel anything. I'm totally happy in my relationship, whatever. And I remember 
my face was hot. My heart was racing. Like it was your typical anxious response. I felt so, so uncomfortable. And I'm like, why did I do this? I didn't do it for the right reasons, whatever. And it, but the guilt and the shame that came along with all of my mental compulsions was just so difficult to wrap my head around. Like I was in the happiest relationship of my life. I felt so in love. I remember I've never felt this way before. Like this was like pure bliss. I moved into an apartment and I know change can activate a lot of OCD. And I was just like looking at my husband, my now husband, and I just felt like I wanted to run. And I was just like, what is wrong with me? I love him. But, and I would cry to him. And fortunately, he was very open and he's very versed when it comes to OCD and engaging and reassuring me even to this day. But it has, it was all just that mental checking, testing, making sure I didn't feel that way again. When we would go out to dinner, it would be like, okay, do I feel in love? Do we, are we talking enough? All these different things. Am I attracted to him enough? Or if a guy at work, let's say, talks to me, I'm like, why is he talking to me for this song? Does he have a thing for me? What if I cheated? All of those different things. And it would just cause so much distress. So I hope that gives like some insight into the relationship style, OCD compulsions. Since it's morphed, it's, it's still all mental. Everything I do is mental. But I do want to mention and call out, there was an amazing, and this is before I found your work, Jenna, because you have been a legit godsend. But I don't know if you've ever heard of Cheryl Paul. She does like the relationship anxiety blogs. But I found her work and I became so like involved in it and just about the underlying reason why, what is this thought protecting me from failing? And I remember, and sometimes I take a step back even now and I'm like, okay, what are these thoughts doing for me? They're keeping me, they're trying to keep me safe. They're causing me distress. Like it's, it just to give me a sense of control, but I'm still on her, still on her blogs. I did a couple of her online courses years ago, but like when I was in the depth of my OCD, I remember putting together a binder of all of her articles and when I was spiraling, I would go and compulsively read the articles over again to make sure that like I was going to be okay. So yeah, that's a little bit of how it showed up. Interesting. Yeah. And so many mental compulsions that you're talking about, but it also seemed like that, like many mental compulsions, right? Like it does come out in these observable ways. So actually one of the ways that I work with my clients is they feel so trapped and they feel like, oh my gosh, I could stop a physical compulsion, but I don't know how to stop these mental compulsions. And it's, they are definitely trickier. They do definitely take an added level of knowledge and awareness and strategy. And there's definitely ways that we can help people with that. And don't be fooled. There are some physical ways that those mental compulsions come out. So it's not very rarely have ever seen anybody have just 100% mental compulsions, right? Sometimes it happens yeah. with avoidance or looking up information, compulsively hoarding that information, trying to seek things on Google. There are still lots of other physical compulsions that can take place. So talk yeah. to me about how your OCD has morphed. You've now talked about that a couple of times, and I know that's something that so many people struggle with. So talk to us about that. Yeah, definitely. So after that, I got over that little hump. Then it became, I got my beautiful Bernice Mountain dog. And I remember doing an at-home workout. And one day, and now mind you, these were like years, not years apart, but like I've had a lot of good times where I'm like not in the depths or I guess clinically meet the criteria for OCD. So I would be like, ha, 
it's over now. I no longer have to do exposures. And then boom, I get hit with another one. So I just want to preface with that. But yeah, I was doing a home workout and I had a thought when I was lifting weights and I was like, what if this weight dropped on Cody's head right now? And I'm like, and I got that image and like animal abuse is something that I'm like, oh my God, it makes me sick to my stomach. And I'm like, would I ever want to, would I ever want to hurt him though? No, I wouldn't want to hurt him. And it became like about a six month long obsession that I had to work through and do exposures on. And it was, it was, I would be anxious leaving work, coming home and being like, okay, I really hope you don't feel that way. Or what if I snap? What if I lose control? Or what if the only way I feel better and get rid of this anxiety is to hurt him? And that would send me off the deep end. So yeah, it morphed into that. And it, I had a good, I would say, two years where I was doing well. And then I had my first son. So he was born January 25th of 2020. He is like the love of my freaking life. And I, I didn't really experience much postpartum anxiety. I, mean, I had the baby blues, if you will, but wasn't until like about nine months in where I got an intrusive thought. What if you don't love him? And it was the testing and like, how does he make you feel when you look at him? And I remember just bawling my eyes out on the living room floor because I'm like, I love him so much. But it was like these certain situations that would have my husband would take him out to dinner or whatever and send me a picture and I would look at it to see if I felt love. So it was in a way like that relationship type obsessions, like testing the quality of love. But instead, this time it's with my children. And so I'm like, I feel like emotional talking about this because it makes me like it obviously pisses me off to no end because as it just attacks what you love the most and then you feel this guilt and shame around. These are the happiest times of my life. Why am I not more present? And I try to remind myself that you've got to be compassionate, practice self-compassion. But yeah, and then I had my other son this, this year, oh my God, December of 2021. The first year was absolute hell with hospitalizations. He had upper respiratory issues, baby asthma, allergies, like the works. And it's true what they say, your first kid's an angel. The second one is not. <laughs> so that was all good and well until this is, brings me to like where I'm at now is January 25th, 2023, when the Lindsay Clancy story came out, literally threw me off the freaking deep end. Like I said, I was like playing around like I am on medication, but not, you know, I was on a lower dose at the time. And I was like, I don't know how I'm going to handle this. And ironically enough, this event happened on my son's birthday. So that sent me spiraling. So I'm like, great. Now, every time I'm celebrating my son's birthday, I'm going to think about the three kids that some mother killed. And it's, that's where I am now. And I've been working with the great therapist from No CD. Her name's Tiffany and she's amazing. And she's definitely like tough spirited in terms of telling me like, Krista, this is what you do. You, you like, she makes me do the work because sometimes like oftentimes with the other therapists I have worked with in the past, when things got better for me, I would just be like, okay, cool. Don't have to go to therapy anymore. But now she has me staying a little more consistent. And for a couple of months recently, I came on here because I want to tell my story about recovery because I did feel better and I, I felt great actually. And then I experienced the backdoor spike. 
If any of this is resonating with you right now, then you need to check out the OCD and Anxiety Recovery Blueprint. The OCD and Anxiety Recovery Blueprint is my no-holds-barred, real talk, three-part course for action takers who want to gain control over their OCD and anxiety and take their freaking life back. It is truly recovery like you've never seen before. I made this OCD and anxiety recovery blueprint because I was sick of the same old vanilla recycled mental health content on social media, on the internet, and I wanted to raise the bar. I wanted to create a world where people could recover for good with or without a therapist. So the OCD and anxiety recovery blueprint, you could get it all together. It's over 100 videos, over 35 hours of content, but you could also get one of its three courses. So we have the foundation, which is level one. This is where you will lay the groundwork for your recovery journey and truly step into your therapist role and realize ultimately how simple all of this can be when you commit to the process. Then level two, we have the transformation. This is where you would learn how to prevent rituals, including mental compulsions, dismantling all those other compulsions that really, really trouble you. You will come to understand that behaviors and mental compulsions are yours to control and never the other way around. Then we have the end game. This is where you will bulletproof your recovery no matter what exposures or challenges cross your path. I want you to take your life back into your own hands so OCD has nothing against you. If you want to learn more about the OCD and Anxiety Recovery Blueprint, just go to www.jennaoverbaughlpc.com slash blueprint or head to the link in my show notes. I don't do vanilla. I don't do what's your subtype. I rip open the freaking curtains and take you into the inner workings of my mind and education so you can know this as well as I do. So again, to learn more about the blueprint, go to www.jennaoverbaughlpc.com slash blueprint or head to the show notes and click the link below. Now, just to go back, because I do want to explain the compulsions and the obsessions that I had around the Lindsay Clinty story, but Jenna, I don't want to, again, keep rambling. Do you, should I keep going? Let's go for it. Yeah, because parents and parents, yeah, but want to be parents one day, it really triggered so many people. Talk to us about that phenomenon. And for those of you who aren't aware, I don't know, people could be listening to this years from now and come back and listen to it. But Lindsay Clancy was a case where it was a mom of, I believe, three children. Mm -hmm. And she was really struggling mentally. She had a ton of different issues going on and you could go on and, and look up more information, but she did end up killing her three kids and she did attempt suicide herself. Um, she ended up surviving, but her three children did die, unfortunately. And yeah, it just obviously, for obvious reasons, triggered so many women, especially those who have these thoughts and these concerns about, oh my gosh, would I ever actually do something like that? It just, I feel like every person that I worked with who ever was doing any amount of progress in their uh, postpartum OCD, like that story happened and everyone went right back to the beginning. Talk to me about, because you mentioned that you had those thoughts with your dog, right? But you're talking more so about the feelings. So talk to me just about what that experience was like for you and how you either coped or did not cope with that. (laughs) Totally. Yeah. And, and people, like you said, like people that don't even have OCD were like completely just mangled by the story. But yeah, I remember, and prior to that, I just want to preface, I never really, I struggled with OCD with my first a little bit with the love stuff, but I would avoid any sort of shows. Like I was on Netflix watching a documentary once and my best with my best friend actually. And I'm like, I can't watch this because it was a clip of a mom that was like trying to draw a baby. I'm like, I, and I was so triggered by that. And I'm like, so those compulsions that come out now for me are more like looking for that past evidence. So listening to that story, 
totally sent me in a spiral. I was trying to celebrate my son's third birthday. I was completely in distress. I started going into like survival mode, basically, and listening to all the old like podcast episodes that I could listen to. I was already subscribed to your newsletter, Jenna, and it was amazing. And when you sent out that email about, let's talk about the Lindsay Clancy's and how much that's triggered other moms. And I was like, oh my God, I feel seen. Because I thought that I was the only one experiencing this. So the way the compulsions took, showed up in my current situation was that I started like looking at my kids and I'm like, what if I snapped and, and hurt them? And it, the intrusive thoughts almost showed as like urges. And it was, it would happen like in the morning when I'd wake up and I'd be alone with them because I was like, okay, when she hurt her kids, like she was alone, she sent her husband out. Like my husband's away at work, like anything could happen. And then I would be like, oh my God, did I feel an urge? And then I would start feeling like that fight or flight response. And it was to the point where it was a cross between that and like, testing to see if I felt love. And again, like if I ever would hurt my kids and I remember taking my son after he turned three to his first karate class, like just a trial class. And I went, I was so immersed in the story and I didn't, the thing is, I didn't even look up the story. I just knew about it. And like my mom friends were texting about it that don't have OCD. And I'm like, please stop texting me. I can't listen to this. It'll send me off a deep end. And I remember pulling up into the karate studio and going to get my son out of the car, out of the seatbelt and feeling this like wave of just like intrusive thoughts, like sensations that felt like I was going to snap and hurt him and that I would need to send myself to a hospital. And I, I literally had a panic attack. I couldn't be present and enjoy him like doing karate. I'm sorry. I'm getting like, I'm getting emotional, but it was just, it was so painful. And so when I did the ERP work, you start off at the bottom of the totem pole and I did all, all the things, did the loop tapes, did all the, I will hurt my son, this, that, and the other thing and try to be comfortable in that. Come to present day, after I was starting to do a little bit better and I'm like, yeah, let's talk about the back to a spike because what happened was I was able to get, improve my with recovery, with the exposure response prevention. I felt good again. And like that place when you're like, oh God, like just so free and because I found myself being so like black and white and like catastrophizing, like I'm having these thoughts. So that means I am going to snap. The only way I'm going to feel better is if I do eventually snap. And then I'm going to end up in a sane asylum and just like going on and on just the rapid fire. And so I started thinking like, okay, you're feeling better. And so my OCD would be like, oh, that's interesting. Let's think about that story again. And let's see how you feel about it. Does it still bother you? Or does it not? Like it was all these types of questions. And again, started spiraling with the scrolling through Instagram, trying to find quotes to keep myself level set. So right now, like I have been in a better place. However, with life transitions, like my son just started pre-K and then I, I, my job just got acquired. So I'm in like a new company now. There's a lot of uncertainty everywhere. So I'm finding myself struggling again and going back to the, Am I feeling love? Or I, my therapist had me recently do an exposure where I had to watch the trial of Lindsay Clancy from her hospital bed. And I'm like, oh my freaking God, I, I can't do this. And I did it. Did I respond to the RP of ERP? I'm not too sure. 
I tried my best. I was definitely, definitely triggered. And then to find out how she did it, it was just, it was too much. And again, it like brought me back to that place. And I think so many of us, when we're feeling good again, we so badly don't want to feel like when you mentioned Jenna, like the day your brain, like you don't want to feel that way again. And it's just like that analogy. If you, you're told not to think about a pink elephant, don't think about the pink elephant. Obviously, you got to think about the pink elephant. So for me, the, those sneaky rituals, and I will say your masterclasses have been amazing. Like the scary thoughts and motherhood was a blessing. And I think, ironically, after taking that, I noticed I had a better understanding and I was in a better place. And that was like those months where I felt like, okay, I'm good. I'm not alone. And then I let the back door spike get the best of me. So yeah, so that's where I am right now. Yeah, it, it, OCD is your is the perfect situation of you're damned if you do, damned if you don't. Yeah. When you were really struggling and so many other people who struggle with the backdoor spike, you wanted nothing more than to just be able to be with your child or with your family or in the situation mm -hmm. and be not anxious. That's what you wanted so badly. And then when you finally do legitimately get a sense of that or a taste of that, it's, but wait, what if this means you don't care? Or yep. what if you could do something now because you're not as vigilant? And I think it comes down to those sneaky ways that we tend to justify our rituals, right? I know when we're not in those moments of intense OCD, we're like, oh my gosh, this is the worst way to live and it sucks. And I would do anything to not do these compulsions. These compulsions suck and I hate them. But when we're in those moments, we want to do those compulsions, right? The yep. stakes are too high for us to not do those compulsions. And it's because we are justifying them somehow. To not yep. check my feelings right now would be inconsiderate. Or to not check my feelings right now would mean that I don't care. And how can I possibly, as a mom, sit with not caring, right? 110%. Like somehow these compulsions make us a good mom. Or somehow these compulsions make us vigilant enough. If I'm vigilant and if I just keep monitoring of everything, then I won't lose control. And it's like, those are the justifications that hold us back. And 110%. And I think a lot of times, too, when it comes to the backdoor spike, it's almost like the devil is better than the devil you don't know. It's almost like I, as much as we hate OCD and we want anything other than it, it's almost at least I know what it's I don't know what we're coming Yeah. From. Yeah, that's a really good point, actually. And that's, and checking feelings is definitely like one of my top, top sneaky rituals yet yeah, like yesterday even my son woke up next to me and he's so sweet and I remember you in one of your podcasts talking about how you and your son you would drive him to daycare and you would like test be concerned about the conversation that you had in the car right. with him that that is something that I constantly experience I feel like I'm the person that needs to bring him to school because if I don't then it, it's like I don't care and then if I pick him up and I have nothing to talk about I'm like well, do we not have a strong a, are we like as close as I thought we were? And yesterday morning we woke up and he was so adorable and so cute. And I just was like, am I annoyed? Do I even love him? And it like literally set the tone for the entire day. And we went to this cute little farm and got up and started donuts, did the basic fall things in New England. And I, and I was like, I feel like I can't even be present because I so badly want to change how I'm feeling right now. But yet, like I know rationally what I need to do, but I can't do it <laughs> so, so it's I think to, to that I don't know I don't know whether it's it's definitely OCD 
will take these things that I think a lot of moms deal with anyway and just make it like a million times freaking worse. I was just talking yep. to somebody else today in our podcast about how we have these expectations of how like toxic positivity and motherhood in general, we tend to only think about or hear about the good stuff. And I think we feel like every other mom is out there having the best time at the fall <laughs> events or the apple picking, right? <laughs> that every other mom here right. loves it and is having the best time. And it, in reality, I experienced the same thing when I was with apple picking with my son. I was like, I would actually be rather, I would rather be doing anything else right now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you have a million things on your mind. Like your OCD legit. Second guess, am I actually being present enough? Okay, no, I'm not being present enough because I'm actually wondering if I'm being present enough. Like how, yes. Ah, yes. It's like OCD about OCD. Yes, that makes sense. Yeah. It's not as simple as it is for us as, as it is for other people. And I also was just talking with somebody about I would rather the one thing that has really helped me and that I have to continually come back to myself as a mom is I would rather Eli get an 80% perfect version of me than a 100%, which I would argue is unachievable, than get a 100% perfect version of someone that's not me. Like, it's mm-hmm. not me to be happy and go lucky and like in love all the time. Like that's just not the yeah. I am anyway. Like not even in this conversation. It's I'm not that way with my dog because I'm not that way with my husband. I'm not a hundred percent all lovey happy all the time with anybody that I spend all of my time with because I'm a human, right? And in trying to give my son a one hundred percent perfect version of a mom, I started to not be authentically me. And mm-hmm. I I realized one day I would rather Eli have an 80% perfect mom that's still authentic and still me than have a 100% perfect version of a mom that's not me at all. 110%. Yep. I agree. It's just, it's, yeah, it's so hard. And honestly, it's like for mom. For moms, like I follow a lot of a lot of my friends, we're pretty open and we talk about how hard it is because it is hard, obviously. But I think there just comes a time where it's just it becomes like it's almost comical, like how OCD like latches onto the things that you value the most. And it's funny, like a friend of mine, like one of my best friends, she's so real and authentic and she'll say she'll say stuff like, oh, my God, I'm going to kill these kids tonight. And I'm like, if I could say that and not go down a rabbit hole of dark despair, that would be great. I'm like, I wish I could do those things. <laughs> yeah. Like, I just the other like, day was like, yeah. oh, my gosh, sometimes I just want to throw them off the balcony. And I'm like, oh, my oh, God. No, like, stop it. It's just I can't. Like, I, oh, I, my God. It's, <laughs> and it's they no. And it's they no because it's like, they know how the things to say that would send you off the deep end. Like the other day, right? My husband goes, we're, sit, we're standing on the deck. And I was saying, like, I just don't, I was talking about the Lindsay Clancy trial because I had just done the exposure. And I'm like, it just made me so aggravated. And I'm like, I just don't get it. And he goes, maybe like, just to trigger me, maybe she felt peace and quiet after. And I'm like, oh my God. And I was like, why would you say such a thing? And it just, he just knows what to say. Cause that would send me off like to trigger me. And he's oh, don't engage in that. <laughs> oh yeah. It's so bad. So bad. Oh, but, but yeah, so that's where I'm at now. It's like more, it's hard. I'm taking it day by day. I'm trying to be, trying to practice that self-compassion and not focus so much. Cause I think where I get stripped up is like the, why I'm not better. Like I spent so much time looking back and I'm like, okay, when I had, I'm OCD around my dog. It only lasted five minutes. When I had 
relationship style OCD with my husband. That was the longest, but that was because I was just diagnosed. But I'm like, this one is going to be, it's going to be a year in January and I still can't move past it. And I'm like, okay, I can't measure success by how long an obsession lasts. So, but it still feels so freaking hard. Exactly. And it's, and I think that having that negative mindset, like you should have nailed this by now. Like you should have gotten over it. What to do is what's keeping me stuck because it's you suck. You're not doing this right. You're clearly not doing exposures right. You keep engaging. It's just all this negative talk. And I'm like, okay, no, I just need to wake up in the morning and be like, let it go. It's okay. I can't measure success by not having an intrusive thought again. Although that is how I like to interpret success. Okay, no more intrusive thoughts. You're good to go. But it's more so that response to them. If you're reacting from a place of, oh, there it is again. Why did I have that? What does this mean? Then you're doomed. And and it's just, I have to acknowledge that there are going to be, it's recovery isn't linear, right? So <laughs> it, it sounds so cliche. Like I know we hear about it. I always encourage people to think of it more of a stock market type of trajectory, right? Like yeah. experience, like you look at the stock mar- market over time and there's from data, like if you look at the stock market multiple times a day or like even every day, you're screwed because like it can go up and it can go down and it can go up and it can go down. What you need to do is look at the overall trajectory of a week or two weeks or a month or six months or a year. And you're going to get those day by day fluctuations or hour by hour fluctuations. But as long as you're over time moving in the right direction, that's what's really important. Exactly. That's something I need to be more cognizant of instead of focusing every minute of my life on. Are you feeling good now? Because <laughs> it's just going to it's just going to keep me some. And another thing. I know in another one of your podcasts, sorry, I'm referring to so much of your stuff, but you have I some love it. material. <laughs> Listen, I told you I'm like fangirling hard right now. But basically, if she, the stuff with Michael Greenberg, like I know a lot of people are, for those who aren't aware, like I know he has a different stance, like, like, all right, you're ruminating, like you, you just have to stop. And I think sometimes it just takes one simple phrase from listening to a podcast or whatever to just switch your brain. And I think for me, specifically with my, the obsession around my dog, what clicked with me was him saying there's a difference. And you mentioned this as well with attention versus awareness. And it's like having that awareness is one thing, but if you're literally shining a light on it and you're giving it attention, then you're ruminating. So it's like when you're ruminating, just say, okay, I'm ruminating. Just stop. I love that you brought up his stuff because I feel like you can't talk about mental compulsions without mentioning Dr. Michael Greenberg because he's just so influential and so monumental when it comes to that. And people have a lot of different perspectives and sometimes it can rub people the wrong way. But isn't that what we're trying to do with all compulsions? We're trying to stop them, right? And it can be really hard to say and to hear that. And I think that his work goes way beyond just stop and so it's definitely not the only piece that you should take from it, but you're so right. Yes, there is this difference, this very subtle but meaningful difference between awareness and attention. And that mm-hmm. is just like hugely significant to people. As we wrap up, I would love to know, seems like that was something that was really influential in your recovery, yeah. something that you keep coming back to. What are maybe like two or three other things that you continually try to come back to or remind yourself of that have been really helpful in your recovery process? Honestly, I try to just, I'm a firm believer. Like I love a good, I love a good mantra. (laughs) And I I love a good, like when I'm, I try to just, I'm trying to be gentle with myself, but there is 
like notice, I guess you could say notice whatever you notice, feel whatever you feel or like what you resist persists. Like these are the types of things in my recovery that I try to be mindful of and in the moment just be, I don't know, acknowledge when you're feeling, when you're feeling off, but don't let it dictate your day. I'm saying this from a place where I'm, and I'm not perfect. And right now I am like a little off kilter with my OCD journey, but I just, I love a good mantra. (laughs) So there's a lot of different, there's a lot of different therapists that I like to follow. I all obviously like I listen to your podcast faithfully. I try not to, I try to be mindful not to use it for reassurance seeking and just for informational purposes. (laughs) But yeah, I don't know if I answered that question. I was, I was thrown off guard, but. (laughs) (laughs) It's okay. No, you've given us like so many little tips and tricks. I think it's helpful to continue to stay educated. That's something that I stand behind very strongly. Like that psychoeducation and just learning about this stuff truly is half the battle and knowing that you're not alone and awareness versus attention. That's a big deal. It's just a small, subtle little phrase and concept and strategy, but it makes a big difference. And you, of course, want find these things and consume this material in such a way that it's not compulsive. But like that psychoeducation piece, understanding why your brain is doing what it's doing, how it shows up and little things like that. I think it's so, so impactful. And you can get those things from podcasts. You can get them from Dr. Michael Greenberg's website is super, super helpful. Those little nuggets are out there and it's just a matter of collecting them. And then of course, implementing them, which Yes, seem to do really well, despite the potential for really crappy things like the backdoor spike and other things like that. So I appreciate you being here. I love you telling your story and just the good, the bad and the ugly. That's what people are going to resonate with. What would be like the last thing that you want to leave people with as we wrap up here? Like any last words of hope or words of wisdom or pieces of advice? I definitely think that you're it's hard and it sucks. And it sometimes like when you're in the depths of it, you feel like you're never going to get out of it, but there is a light at the end of the tunnel. I try not to focus because I noticed that like specifically in my working with no CD, there's some things that they have a feed and people that are new to CD recovery. A lot of people are seeking reassurance. And sometimes I find don't get so caught up this is to the listeners, I, I would say, try not to get so caught up in the, the OCD co- community. I don't, I don't know if I'm wording this right. I'm not saying don't get caught up in the OCD community, but don't make it, don't try make OCD your life. Like I, I found that I tried doing that in the beginning of my recovery and it actually kept me stuck. Like I was in a support group through emails that I would check daily. I would, I would try to get all the threads, all the different things, try to be a perfectionist, obviously, and have all my ducks in a row. But sometimes I find you're not living your life fully because you're so badly want to, you want to get better. But by just being a part of these forums every day and everyone constantly, I just feel like it might hinder your growth a little bit. I don't know if you feel the same way I feel on that. But yeah, it's just- I mean, there's, I am a big believer in that nothing is inherently good or bad. It's all about how and what, right? So anything can be exactly. impulsive, including involvement in the community. Like if you're doing something urgently and desperately as a way to get rid of your anxiety, it has the potential yep. to become compulsive. So that could be with things like listening to podcasts. It could be with things like checking your emails for newsletter updates. It could be attending and involving yourself in the community. It can be anything. And so that is all to say, it can also be done 
effectively and functionally. So just making sure that you're using those resources in a way that's hopeful and functional and not as a means to get rid of your anxiety versus we want to learn to accept and be with the anxiety and act with that anxiety. We yes. urgently and desperately try to get rid of it. So exactly. Chris, that's what I meant. You. Thank you. for <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much for being here. This was such thank an awesome you. episode. I love everything that you shared. So guys, thank you so much for being here. Thanks for the listen. And Krista, one more time, thank you so much for being here and for your vulnerability and for sharing your story. Thank you so much. It was great. And I look forward to hearing the feedback. Hopefully you guys are not alone. Just remember that. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening to my podcast. It would mean the world to me if you would take a quick minute to please give it a review. And while you're at it, check out my website at www.jennaoverbaughlpc.com to sign up for my free email newsletter that includes an instant free downloadable PDF to help jumpstart your OCD and anxiety recovery journey. You can also find me on Instagram or TikTok at jenna.overbaugh. If you liked what you listened to here, you can download some of my workshops and courses on OCD, anxiety, and treatment at my website as well. Thank you so much again for tuning in. And until next time, keep doing all the hard things.